0: Heavenly Father, we come today before you with hearts that are uh, being called in different directions at times, whether it's to our team that we're rooting for today or to the uh, commercials we're excited to see and these visions and versions of the good life and of happiness that we're being sold. We pray that we come back to your table, to our home, to uh, who we are in you. And that we be reminded of your love for us, and that we be called into this love that you have for your son Jesus, and that as Jesus reciprocated that love to you, that we may love you in return and follow Jesus into a life of abundance. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in Ephesians. This series Uh, we started uh, a few weeks ago. And we've heard from James, good man, James, Matthew, and also Bill. You could pray for Bill. He's in Mexico right now, enjoying a vacation. I think he should be on his way back soon with his lovely wife, Cynthia. And uh, they're, they're having a good time, but pray for them still. And the Ephesians is a dense read. And you read it, there's beautiful language there. There's uh, several different prayers for the end of chapter 1 that James brought us through. There was a really beautiful prayer. And it's actually the prayer that Lauren and I prayed for our daughter Charlotte right up here when we dedicated her with the rest of the family, dedicated ourselves our family with our church family to the Lord. And uh, we also find this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can do that. I'm going to read out of the New Revised Standard Version, which should also be printed on your little handouts there. And this is the word of the Lord for us. It's also a prayer from Paul to the church at Ephesus and to all of you today. So let's read together and pray this together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes his name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you be strengthened in your inner being and with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ever ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So thank you for reading along with me. And as you notice, there's a lot here And a lot of this is actually pretty hard to fully wrap your minds around. Paul says he wants us to have the power to comprehend Jesus' love. But then he also says that love surpasses all knowledge. Knowledge, sometimes it can't really, the thing in your head can't really wrap itself around the love that Jesus has. Um, This is something that is tough for me, especially, I don't know about you, there's some fairly rational people in the crowd, I'd say, today. The uh, study that I had in college and in, after college and um, a master's degree was in philosophy. Philosophy uh, it doesn't do too much with questions about God because it's really hard to wrap your mind around them. There's certain things that philosophers are willing to say, but for the most part, something that surpasses knowledge is just something you don't talk about. And so I found it tough that this was the passage that was available for me to preach on because when I also look at uh, something that's going to God's going to accomplish far more than I can ask or imagine, I mean, what am I supposed to talk about then? But there's still good stuff here. It's just we're going to have to kind of dig into a different part of our bodies than just the intellect and go to the heart and go to our experience, the experience that we have with one another, And the experience that Jesus even had himself on earth. Because I believe that there's a story in the gospel about Jesus himself experiencing the love that he had, that the Father had given him, that surpassed even his own knowledge. So we're going to get to that in a moment. And we're also going to get to talk a little bit about stories of river people that I've seen experience the abundance of God's love and share it with others. And all of this is going to be kind of within this theme of this economy of abundance that God has and that God's called us into versus economy of scarcity. Now, I call these economies because they are ways that we uh, kind of deal with goods and services in the world. Whether we think that there's a scarcity of things, there's never enough, you always need more, and this could be uh, the good of time. There's never enough time. Ask any high schooler here who's got studies, who's got sports, who's got extracurriculars. Uh, I don't know college apps to be in by now for the seniors, I think, but there's probably uh, extra tests to study for. And then there's church things, right? And there's rush or tie for the junior hires and coming to church here on Sunday morning. All of you somehow made it here even though you probably have to go make your queso dip for later on today. And the... um, Money is another one, and time is money, but money on its own is something that we often feel the need to hold on to tight. We have to calculate our budget and live according to it, and then there ends up often not being any extra room to give away. Or you calculate that into your budget, and then all of a sudden your budget is flipped over on its head. Now, since you're already assuming that you're going to be giving some away, that becomes the way that you can see all money. is It's a gift from God, and it's going to be continually given by God, but it's for us to share with others. And that's one of the things that we get to do as we uh, do... We can pass around the communion bags now if you want. I don't think it'll distract anyone, right? You already wrote your checks, right? If you, if you write those things, or you can log on online. Yeah, we can. We can not communion bags, the stuff bags. We call them... Lots of different things, bags, but um, we just need to get this out of the way so that later on we can pray and take communion. The, uh, the abundance, though, that God has is something that we need to believe in. And the way that we believe in it is by seeing it in Jesus' life and in the life of the church today. And this is part of the glory that God has for us to experience. But scarcity is a temptation, and uh, one Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, calls it the myth of scarcity. You now, it is a myth potentially, but it's a strong myth. It's something that grabs onto our hearts. Uh, think about the scarcity of attention from your peers. If you have a social media account and you're not getting enough likes on your Instagram photo as someone else. Or the... Scarcity of places on the team, if you're trying out and you want to be on the, uh, the dance squad, but there's only 10 spots and you're number 11, or the spots at Stanford or whatever it is, UCLA, USC, there's always a scarcity that we're up against that uh, tells us that you're not enough, but God says that you are. So let's look at one of the ways that we can um, see Jesus living in this life of abundance. Now, we're going to look at Matthew. Now, the reason I turn to Matthew is because the whole Bible does tie in together with itself. Um, has anyone ever seen Star Wars before? Any of the recent ones? Let's see the last one? Some people complain about the way that they make them now, but uh, people complained about the way the New Testament was written compared to the Old Testament as well. Uh, so we have the old Star Wars, which I'm going to say are like this, the Old the Old Testament. Um, they were, you know, written in Hebrew, a different language, but something beautiful and something to kind of get your imagination going and... They had great music. The Old Testament has great music as well. And then we have this new uh, version, this Disney version, and it's pretty fantastic. It's written in in Greek, so you're going to see a different sort of uh, things going on. But um, it's still Star Wars, and it's still scripture that we're talking about. There was a middle period for Star Wars, and there was a middle period for the Bible as well. And Apocrypha is what it's called for the Bible. Some people don't think it's inspired or authoritative, but it still, for some people, is in the Bible. And that is still considered Star Wars. Still had great music, but um, not quite inspired. Sorry if if those are your favorite. So we'll go on to um, Matthew. Now, if you had your Bible open to Ephesians, you can flip back toward the Apocrypha, if that's in your Bible, um, but Matthew is the one that we're going to land on. So the first book in the New Testament, and I want to talk about uh, this part of the narrative. It's going to be a big chunk of text that will kind of fly over quickly, if we can, and focus on one key scene that ends up being pivotal in Jesus' mission that's carried out. And in this, we're going to see abundance in Jesus' ministry The abundance of food for the uh, 5,000 and then the 4,000 later on. And the abundance of healing for the Jews and the Gentiles later on. And um, (laughs) we could just have your Bible read it for us. That's good. Um, Yeah, if you have the Bible app or your uh, your Bible with you, the hard copy, that's good. Matthew chapter 14. So Matthew chapter 14 opens with the scene of Herod, and he's hosting some friends of his for a banquet. Now, Herod was the king in Judea, and as a king, he did live a pretty cush lifestyle, but he was um, probably not surrounded by true trustworthy friends. They were more like people who just wanted to be in good favor with him, so they would say the right things to him. And also try to make themselves appear very royal, uh, regal, and um, valorous. Is that how you say that? Anyway, the person that was a thorn in Herod's flesh was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is actually a great one to uh, be a foil to Herod because he was one who lived not in Cush purple cloth, but he wore camel hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey, grasshoppers. Just think on that. But uh, Herod was serving his company some delicious feast, and in that he was not so much enjoying his company and having a happy time with them as much as he was trying to save face around them. He was afraid of losing their respect. And he has this cush life. He has abundant riches, but he needs always more. He needs more respect, and he always wanted some more power, and his own wife was... Searching for more power because she'd left her husband in order to marry Herod to expand uh, her domain in in a sense and have more grasp of power. And then because of her wickedness and his complicity, they ended up having John the Baptist killed because uh, he... Well, and it's fulfilling a promise, but we'll, we'll move on from there. This John the Baptist dying is what the text says moves Jesus to move on. And in verse 13, Jesus goes to a deserted place by himself. He needs to pray. John was an important person for Jesus, and Jesus needed to take some time to himself. But people wouldn't let him be alone. They followed him. Immediately, instead of fearing this crowd, saying, ah, I need time for myself, He had abundant time for people and abundant compassion as well, and so he decided to cure them. And he said, these people are probably going to be hungry. When people get hungry, they get hangry. We don't want that. Let's keep people in a good mood and let's let them know what I have for them that I don't just have healing, that I don't just have the words of life, I have the bread of life as well. And this is bread that starts out very small, just five loaves and two fish, and then becomes enough to feed 5,000. Some people have interpreted this to say that maybe one person started sharing, and so then everyone started bringing the bread that they've been hiding in their cloaks because they didn't want other people to steal their bread from them. They found out they could be generous as well. It's contagious. I think that kind of takes the miracle away from it. And I want to say that Jesus lifting it up to heaven just actually made the bread multiply. But both readings are good in my account. They're both miracles of sorts. And afterwards, they collected 12 baskets full. The 12 baskets collected by the 12 disciples represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is with his own people here. But as Paul talks about in the key passage for today, at the very beginning of the passage, it says just three words, for this reason, for this reason. Now, if you turn back in Ephesians, but you don't have to do that right now, you can just trust me, the reason that he's talking about is from the end of chapter 2. And the reason is that, the reason he's praying, the reason he's celebrating, and he's praying for encouragement for the people, is they have become one through Jesus. They were at once two. There was once a division. The division has been uh, consummated, in a sense, by Jesus' death on the cross, but also by his life, as we're seeing in the Matthew account. Jesus brought the Jews and the Gentiles near to each other at one table. And even here, today, we have people who come from uh, disparate backgrounds, whether it be from... Patriots or Eagles fans or uh, Jews and Gentiles or from different countries or different languages or different economic backgrounds, and we're all coming to this one table together because of what Jesus has done for us. It's not what we already have in common that makes us come together to gather and worship, but what Jesus has done. And so that's why we're looking at what he's doing here, for this reason, that two have become one. One. And so we're going to get to a key pivotal point. He has already fed people, and he's actually going to feed again. He's already healed people. He's going to heal people again. In the text, there's sort of like a mountain that we're climbing, and we're going to go to an apex and then come down the other side, and that is going to mirror the two sides. The two sides are going to have very similar things going on, and that says to me that this is a very key scene. So let's hop over to that scene into chapter 15. Jesus is moving kind of farther and farther away from Jerusalem in the center of things into Gentile territory. Chapter 15, verse 21. If you're with me in Matthew, we're going to see that Jesus is going to be confronted directly by a woman of Canaanite background. In other texts, she's called Syrophoenician, which is probably more accurate for the day because the uh, Canaanites had long passed away. But Matthew seems to call her a Canaanite because it's an important reminder of the enmity between Israel and her neighbors, that uh, they've been called into this land of Canaan. And this is a woman from their past, and she's got something wrong, and she wants Jesus' help. So. 21 through 28. I'll read it all in chapter 15. Jesus left that place by the Sea of Galilee and he went on way to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman came from the region out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon! Said she is shouting. But he did not answer her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away! She keeps shouting after us. He answered, to them it seems, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt right before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, which was a derogatory term for Canaanites back then, or anyone in general. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman, great is your faith, is something that if you look back in 14, you would see Peter, the one who wanted to walk on the water with Jesus, was asked by Jesus, why do you doubt? Why do you have such little faith? Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, couldn't have faith. But this woman, a complete stranger and an enemy of old, had faith in his ability to heal. Now, Her daughter was tormented by a demon. And the demons that tormented the daughter back then could have been a number of things could have been a number of uh, forms, manifestations. Today, it's hard for us to think about demons. You might think about the exorcist. But I think about various forms of addiction, especially addictions to ideas of scarcity. And the scarcity of attention that a young girl can receive um, in positive ways from her male peers, a young woman, is uh, something very damaging. I was reading an article recently that was talking about teenage girls having the, not having the right resources to deal with the temptations from their male counterparts to send nude images of themselves. This is a demonic force that's plaguing our young people. And we see it in our own community. We beg, Jesus, help us. And it seems like something that we don't want to talk about in church because it's, you know, not our kids. It's someone else's. It's the Canaanites. But it is in our own community. And and we pray for healing from these demonic forces. We have to name the demons in order to cast them out. That's something Jesus teaches us. But what we know is that we have abundant love found in Jesus. And I know that the young people in River Student Ministries have abundant love in their small group leaders, in their own parents and other parents that are invested. And I know that this love is the same love that it was at work in raising Jesus from the dead. And as people can feel dead and feel crippled in various ways by these forces, we do have life in this source of all life. So, um... Can we pray just for a moment for this? For uh, this Heavenly Father, uh, you've created all things and you've called us to name the idols and name the demons and name the spiritual forces in the heavenly places and in. in in the cellular places here around us that we want to give these things over to you and trust that you can enter into this conflict, this chaos, this scariness, this mess, and bring healing. So please bring healing to us today and let us care for and guide our young people well. So that's a little side note about demons. This is the reason why the mother of this young woman, of the, her daughter, was um, begging Jesus to help him. Now, Jesus was right. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's how the story goes. And then he's going to send his disciples out later on in Matthew chapter 28. You're going to go to all nations, to the ends of the earth, and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But at this point, Jesus' own ministry which is often happening through the disciples, becomes shifted from just to the Jews primarily, not only, there were exceptions, to all of a sudden the Gentiles have a room, have a place at the table of God. And in the next passage, we already had a feeding of Jews, now we have a feeding of the Gentiles, um, and also a healing of the Gentiles. You see this because in verse 31, it says they praised the God of Israel. They wouldn't need to praise the God of Israel if it was their own God. They would just say they praised God, but we could see that it was Gentile. So Jesus got to this point, encountered this woman, and then turned and started opening up the table of his ministry to everyone. Now, I talk about a table because we are going to come to a table today together, but also because the table fellowship was a very important theme in the Gospel of Matthew and other gospel accounts, and in those days because pharisees often attacked Jesus for the way that he wasn't participating in table fellowship in the right ways that he was inviting sinners tax collectors and others on the margins to the table and that eventually gentiles as well that he was uh, allowing his disciples to eat on the sabbath which wasn't or pluck grain on the sabbath rather which wasn't allowed and they were eating with unwashed hands and it wasn't a hygiene thing it was a tradition thing the pharisees viewed their table as something that they needed to have walls around. They needed to know who was in and who was out. And this was their theology, you could say. Here, in Jesus, we see a theology of abundance rather than of scarcity. And people come to him like a well that's continually running over with new and new water, like sheep coming to a well. You have sheep that come to a well, and that keeps them there. They keep coming in for more, and that's Jesus. Versus the alternative, which is the idea that if we want to keep sheep in, keep them close, we have to build a wall around them, and then it keeps our sheep in and others out. So we have the scarcity of a wall, of of keeping the sheep in the gate, versus the abundance of the well. And we're called to the well, to drink deeply. And this is uh, something that I know that people are already doing in our community. And I want to look back at the text in Ephesians and talk about how we see the beautiful love of Christ that surpasses knowledge in the people around us today. So. We took that moment to look at Jesus to see how the abundant life is in contrast to a scarce life, a life of scarcity, a life of always needing more, rather than realizing that we do have enough in him. And I'm going to read the passage from Ephesians again and think about Jesus as you hear these words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. See, this abundance that Jesus has gives us strength so that it doesn't matter what's going on outside of us, although we do need to eat, we do need to sleep, we do need some downtime, we do need basic necessities, that whether we're living in a palace or we're barely making it, that we can have inner strength knowing that Jesus is, will provide. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so you're being rooted and grounded in love. Now, the rooting and the grounding are things that actually you can see happening around here. What are the relationships that you have here? How were you called into the River Church? How are you being sustained in friendships and in this big family of families that we have? And if you're not already plugged in, then we got grounded groups, as it says, grounded in love. That's what the grounded groups are about. And if you don't know about those, ask your neighbor. The uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I think about the ways we serve, The it reignite, and the way that that's an opportunity to not only meet new people, but also get to participate in the abundance that God has. That, you know, oh, we don't have enough time to go do, do this. And I think that doing that would reorient your understanding of time. You're called in to this new life. This prayer goes on. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints. You don't comprehend this alone. You don't get to know this stuff alone. You don't get to go into your room, read the Bible, read through Ephesians, and say, okay, this is what this means. That's why it was really hard for me to preach this thing, because I tend to look at things in isolation. But when you look, And you look around with all the saints, all of God's family, and you experience the love that they have for you, for each other, and for their neighbors. This is when you learn about the breadth, the length, and then the height and depth. And you get to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God, that's what it says Jesus has in him, but he also has given it to the church. Whenever Jesus was feeding the 5,000 or the 4,000, he was doing it through his disciples. He wants to feed people today through you. Whether it's food like bread or it's the food of just sitting next to someone and listening to them or visiting someone who's seems unvisitable for others. Now, this is the, the benediction, the doxology, and this is what um, we get to, uh, in a sense, sing together as we sing every time that we're being filled with God's Spirit through our song and that we're pouring that Spirit back out to Him. And we say that it's a powerful Spirit. Verse 20 To Him who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to Him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That woman, she actually helped change Jesus' understanding of what his mission was. I see. uh, Before that, he had been ministering to to Jews only. And then all of a sudden, she opens up his eyes that his love is greater than even he can understand. And he's going to accomplish abundantly far more than he can even ask or imagine in the Gospel of Matthew, the passage we looked at. So this is what we also are called into today. What is something that you cannot even fathom of being able to accomplish? Is there someone that you aren't able to make amends with? But God says you can. Is there something that you can't deal with, that you can't get help for, or you can't ask someone to help you through. You can't do it alone, but God can help you do it. The, um, the thing that I think is hard enough on its own is just sometimes living together with other people who we don't always see eye to eye with, you know? There's going to be some sort of conflict probably later today with people who are watching the game together, but they're not rooting for the same team especially if you've got money in it. When you've got money in something, you want it to happen. Mm. But we are investing ourselves. Some of us invest our money, if that's what you're um, part of your worship for the River Church. We invest ourselves in actually bringing ourselves to the communion table together. First, we're going to have an opportunity to get into little groups, And find some people around you, maybe that you know, maybe that you don't know, and you can pray together. And I want us to pray uh, sometimes, if it's possible, for the hard things. Now, the hard things are those that are pulling on our hearts, that are trying to close us off from the abundant life that God has in store for us. Help each other name these different forces at play that are telling us there's never enough. You always need more. That life is scarce. And then we can be filled up through our prayers together by Christ's abundant love. And in doing that, after you pray, and there will be some music playing for a few songs, I invite you to the table, and you can come with those you prayed with, that we experience healing together through Christ's broken body. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and Then, after being betrayed, he was arrested, condemned, beaten, mocked, scorned, and next day crucified. On that night, he told his disciples that this loaf, this is my body, and he gave it to them to share with each other and then with us. Each one of us has been invited into this by someone. Maybe one of you had a Paul on the road to... um, Damascus experience and you just were called by Jesus directly, but then even him, uh, he was taken care of by Ananias right away. So God has called someone into your life to bring you here. And this is what we're called to today as well. That we are called to into each other's lives to bring the brokenness of Christ that actually brings about healing. Because he didn't stay in the tomb, he was raised and it's seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And so let's pray as we prepare to pray together. And like I said, we'll break up into small groups uh, around you and take your time. We'll have several songs or a few songs at least if you want to wait to come up to do communion or pray quickly, take communion and pray some more and sing and worship together. Heavenly Father, the words that you've given us today, they don't always make complete sense to our minds, but we pray that they may penetrate our hearts, that we may know the love that surpasses any sort of knowledge, that we may experience that in the community that you've called out of this chaotic world full of conflict. And into your son who took up that chaos and conflict upon his own body and turned it into new life. We pray that we may experience the love that you have for your son and live into the love that the son showed you in his life. And we pray for those who aren't here that are suffering that you may give us the courage to love them in ways that are more than we can ever imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.